Well, I'd invite you, those of you who have a copy of God's Word, to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I once again remind you that the passage for this morning is found in the insert in your bulletin. And if you don't own a copy of God's Word, there is a copy for you on the back table to take home. Please do so. We want you to have a copy of God's Holy Word. Many of you saw posted on the city uh, the other day that we are going to be in the book of Psalms for several more weeks before heading into our fall study of the book of Nehemiah. And you may have also seen that today we turn to what is really my absolute favorite psalm. And I might even go so far as to say it's my favorite passage of Scripture. And I'm not quite sure how favorite passages of Scripture work, I recognize, as you recognize, as we all believe, that all of of Scripture is valuable, all of Scripture is profitable, and therefore all of Scripture is precious. And yet I suppose the way that God has wired us, the things that God in His providence has taken us through, the various experiences that we have undergone in our lives on our journey. Because of that, there are certain passages that strike a deeper chord within us. And this is one such passage for me. Great passage. Psalm 130 line. Listen as I read God's Word to you. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from Your Spirit? Or where shall I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there Your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. 
Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. For whatever reason, I don't like the color red. I love the color orange, but I don't like red. I have three different birthmarks on my body. I'll refrain from showing them to you. I like watches. I have poor circulation in my right hand pointer finger. Sometimes my wife has to grab a hold of it just to warm it up. I don't snore. And I don't like the sheets tucked in the end of my bed. I could go on and on with things that most of you didn't know. Things that you really probably didn't want to know about your pastor. But these are things that my wife Anna has learned about me, things that my wife Anna has known about me for years. And I must say, I'm so thankful to be known by her. I'm so thankful to be known by Anna because a lot of what she knows about me is not just silly things like the things that I mentioned, but deep things, things that I probably would be embarrassed to share to all of you. She knows these things, and yet, she loves me. Well, this morning's psalm centers around being known. Being known in such a way that will literally blow your mind. We've looked at a lot of psalms this summer as we've talked about The Psalter, psalms that have revealed a host of attitudes and emotions toward God, as well as truths about who God is in and of Himself. But I'm not sure any psalm that we've looked up, we've looked at to this point has been as explicitly theological as this one. Theology may be a daunting or a a scary word for some of you, but it shouldn't be. Theology is simply the study of God. You may not have known it, but every time that you have opened up the Scriptures and learned a truth about who God is, about who He has revealed Himself to be, you have been a theologian. You have been doing theology. And this morning, through God's servant David, we see some wonderful truths about who God is. And it's all centered around three incommunicable attributes of God. You see, when we talk about God, we talk about Him in terms of attributes, things that describe Him. And we divide those attributes often into communicable and incommunicable attributes. Real briefly, incommunicable attributes are those attributes that we just can't get. 
They're attributes that we cannot reflect. We can't even fully understand some of them. They are so beyond us. But they are what make God, God. You see, when we learn that God is love, when we learn that God is merciful, when we learn that God is patient, we can be those things to a certain degree. Not anywhere close to God, but we can reflect those characteristics of God. But the, the attributes we're going to look at this morning, oh, they're so very different. They're so very different. And my hope this morning is not to merely give a, a theological lecture. That's not, it's never what I'm interested in doing, but particularly with Psalm 139, I don't think that would give justice to what David is trying to do. You see, this is poetry. This is not systematic theology. David is finding himself lost in the wonder, in the awe of the God that he serves. And I believe that that is what he wants to communicate to us as well this morning. This is not abstract study for David. No, this, is, this is personal for David and it's personal for us. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. Me. And so let's just spend a few minutes marveling at who our God is and, and letting the majesty and the awe of your God wash over you anew. There are three truths that I want us to think about, that I want us to meditate on this morning. And they're, they're led by the first three stanzas. You see, your psalm is divided into stanzas by your translation. Those three stanzas will guide us. So I want to look at the first three stanzas in, in three truths and then look at some practical implications of these doctrines. First truth. God knows you deeper than you ever will. God knows you deeper than you ever will. You see, David begins by declaring that he himself has been the object of exhaustive examination. Exhaustive examination, personal examination, by God Himself. God has searched Him and known Him. But here's the thing. The language that David used here in inferring an examination by God is really only language for us. It's language for us. You see, God didn't have to study you to acquire this knowledge about you. He knows all things. He has always known all things. And the word that we use for this is omniscience. Omniscience. You see, my wife, despite all that she knows about me, she's still learning. Husbands, are you still learning about your wives? About the way they tick? I think you are. But God's knowledge is not like that. God's knowledge is absolutely complete. 
Now, ultimately, this is, this is beyond us. But it's fun to think about. And it's fun to, to stretch our minds a bit. You see, one reason I think that God's knowledge is so complete is because God is not bound to time. He is not bound to time and place. His knowledge is not some great memory where He looks back and remembers everything. He doesn't have some prophetic gift where He can look and see in the future what's coming. No, God, His knowledge is completely different. I heard it described this way, that our lives and the history of mankind, the history of every life, they're like rivers winding through valleys. And we can't see what's ahead because the rivers bend. And we often lose track of what's behind because the river has bended. But God, God sits on the highest peak and He looks down and He sees the whole journey of every river in every detail, every turn, every capsize, everything. And even more mind-blowing than that, He has carved the path of each river. He has designed the current of the water. He has built the durability of the boat. Everything is known by God. And therefore, even the thoughts, even David's thoughts, even our thoughts that aren't quite yet words, are known by God before they're spoken. You see, God is the only teacher who has never been a learner. God is the only teacher who has never been a learner. Listen to this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, God has never learned from anyone. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into His mind knowledge that He did not possess and had not possessed from all eternity, He would be imperfect and less than Himself. God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised. He is never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does He seek information or ask questions. Have you got your head around that? Now this, of course, is a knowledge that is beyond us. It's too much for us. And like David, we cry out, too wonderful, it is high, I cannot attain it. It's wonderful, but we also might say that in a sense it's a bit or it can be a, dis, a bit disconcerting. To be known to the absolute core of your being, to be known in a way that you don't even know yourself, this can be threatening. I mean, it's great to be known, but there, there is an, an overexposure it would seem there's a, there's a nakedness beyond nakedness that can be too much. Especially for we who have things to hide. Things we don't want others to know about. And this, of course, was Adam and Eve's response to their disobedience in the garden. They tried to hide. They tried to cover themselves from God, from His piercing knowledge. 
And so I bet, I bet that there are some of us here this morning that if we are honest, we want to run from such knowledge. If a God like this exists, we want to go the other way. And that brings us to the second truth that I want us to think about. Not just that God knows you deeper than you ever will, but God is always with you. You'll never get away. God is always with you. You'll never get away. Verse 7 declares, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? You see, David uses the word flee here, the same word that is used of Jonah. The familiar story of Jonah to many of us, the man who ran from God, who ran in the other direction and ended up being swallowed by a fish, by a God-ordained fish. See, it's almost as if David is not just wondering about where the boundaries are. No, there are times when he has run to get away. He has fleed, or at least tried to flee, from God's presence. Yes, David has just proclaimed that this is a knowledge that is too wonderful for him. And he gives us this picture of of God's reassuring hand resting upon us. But David knows. David has experienced before that that hand, that that hand of God can be heavy sometimes. We tend to think that picture of a father just putting a gentle hand on top of the head. We forget about that hand that grabs the shoulder and pinches the nerve of the neck. Or grabs the thigh in the back seat. You see, David knew that heavy hand and he cried out in Psalm 32.4, Night and day your hand was heavy upon me. God's hand was not always a hand of comfort. It, it was sometimes a grip of rebuke. A hand that you would want to get away from. Even now, in this room, there might be some uncomfortable Twitching, you don't like hearing about a God with such access to your lives, to your thoughts, to your intentions. A God with such pervasive knowledge of you. If you're feeling a bit uncomfortable, that's good. That's where I want you to be. And we'll return to it in just a moment. But if we go back to the Psalms, if we look at verses 7-12 through where we are, David introduces to us and expounds for us God's omnipresence. God's omnipresence. And he does so poetically with a view to every direction. He looks up. He looks down in verse 8. If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, in the place of the dead, you are there. In verse 9, he looks to the east. He looks to the west. The east being the place where the sun rises. The wings of the morning. The west being the place where for the ancient mind, there was water in the uttermost parts of the sea. Where all I can see is water. Even there your hand shall lead me and hold me. Even the dark places in verses 11 and 12 are not sufficient to hide 
David proclaims, my God, you are everywhere. Even if I wanted to get away, it would be futile. There's nowhere I can go. There's nowhere I can hide. One of my favorite books, reading to my kids when they grew up, was Runaway Bunny. You guys familiar with the Runaway Bunny? Wonderful book. I won't read it all to you, though I'm tempted. Once there was a little bunny who wanted to run away. So he said to his mother, I'm running away. If you run away, I'm sorry, you guys want to see the pictures. (laughs) If you run away, said his mother, I will run after you. For you are my little bunny. If you run after me, said the little bunny, I will become a fish in a trout stream and I will swim away from you. If you become a fish in a trout stream, said his mother, I will become a fisherman and I will fish for you. And the story goes on and on and on as the bunny runs from his mother until he gives up and says, I've never said this from the pulpit before, shucks. Shucks, said the bunny. I might just as well stay where I am and be your bunny. And so he did. Have a carrot, said the mother bunny. (laughs) It's a wonderful story. A wonderful story about a bunny that wants to get away, and yet his mother pursues him. And it's just a glimpse, at least for my children, just a glimpse of, of the God who pursues them, the God that the Puritans called the hound of heaven. But unlike the pursuing mother bunny, God doesn't even have to pursue. He's there. He's always there. And this is not easy for us to get our heads around. It's impossible to get our heads around. But let me tell you, as we talk about omnipresence, what this is not. What this is not. David is not saying that God is in everything. Nor is he saying that God is everything. Pantheism and panentheism teach these things. That he's in the rocks of the desert. He's in the spirit of the tree. The waves of the sea. This is the God of Pocahontas. This is the God of James Cameron and his blockbuster hit Avatar. This is not omnipresence. No, God's omnipresence is different. God's omnipresence is not like a gas that's distributed in a room and permeates a room when released. No, what David extols here, what the rest of Scripture confirms and elaborates on, is that God's full presence is in every place. God's full presence is in every place. The Hebrew word translated presence here is literally face. Wherever we are, we live before the face of God. God is always with you. You'll never get away. How is this possible? You say, well, it's only possible with God. Because He is God. One more truth I want us to think about for a few moments 
Not only does God know you deeper than you ever will, not only is God always with you, you'll never get away, but God's creative power conceives and resurrects. God's creative power conceives and resurrects. Let me read something to you. One square inch of your skin has about 625 sweat glands, 19 feet of blood vessels, and 19,000 sensory cells. Working in coordination with your brain, it maintains your body at a steady 98.6 degrees under all weather conditions. Your stomach has 35 million glands which secrete the right amounts of juices to allow your body to digest food and convert it into stored energy for your muscles. To avoid digesting itself, your stomach produces a new lining every three days. The heart muscle beats over 103,000 times each day, pumping your blood cells a distance of 168 million miles. I could go on and on. Point made that the human body is a marvel. And this that I just read is written by a man, Carl Sagan, who believes that it's an accident. That it just happened. But you are not an accident. You did not just happen. You are the result of the master knitter. A God who created you, who knit you together, who spoke you into being by the word of His power. This stanza of Psalm 139 is one of the most beautiful declarations of God's creative power. A power that demonstrates itself here and elsewhere to be without limit. A a power that we would describe as omnipotent, all-powerful. I want to zoom in on just a few, just three amazing words from this stanza. Three amazing words. First is inward parts. Inward parts. You see, these two English words are translated from one Hebrew word that occurs 31 times in the Old Testament. And 19 of those times, it's translated as kidney. Kidney. Eight times it's translated as heart. Only once is it translated as it is here. Inward parts. And I don't tell you that because I think the translators translators have done something wrong, that they've translated incorrectly. No, just to dig a little bit deeper into the richness of what David is saying. The the kidneys, the, the heart. To the ancient mind, the very seat of the emotions and the will. The very essence of who you are. God put all of that together. He formed you uniquely you. And God did that in the womb of your mother. Poetically, in the depths of the earth. God's creative power conceives. And that leads us to the next word. Unformed substance. Unformed substance, used only here. Again, this is two English words that are one Hebrew word. It could literally be translated embryo. Embryo. There in the womb, from the moment of conception, God is there. 
crafting us by His power, making us in His image. What a glorious thought. What a wonderful picture. And of course, this text is one of the main texts that is an indictment against a grievous practice that has gone on in our nation and nations around the world for much too long at the cost of millions and millions of lives. We need to think of life, life in the womb, as precious. One more word to consider. The book. The book. I just think it's interesting that God has a book. God has a book. And He first mentioned it way back in Exodus to his servant Moses in Exodus 32, he said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And it's been mentioned in the Psalter before, Psalm 56, 8, you have kept count of my tossings, you've put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? Psalm 69, 28, let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Of course, the book is not a physical book that God holds and writes in. But what is the significance of God's book? The significance is that God has a plan. That God has a plan. That you are not the master of your fate. You are not the captain of your soul. You are His. Your days on earth are numbered predetermined, known only to God. The Adjustment Bureau. Remember the book in the Adjustment Bureau? Anyone ever seen that movie? Interesting movie about these issues of predestination, of God's sovereignty in our life. God has a book Verse 18 brings up an interesting question where David says, I awake and I am still with you. We don't know quite what David means here. He means one of two things, we think. He either wakes up from a sleep, from a slumber, realizing that all these truths flood again into his mind and God is these things, or, which I think fits very well, Even after the sleep of death, God's presence is there. Even after the sleep of death, God's presence is there. Remember Jairus' daughter in Luke chapter 8? They came to Jesus pleading that He would come. My daughter is dying. My 12-year-old daughter is dying. Come, and Jesus gets delayed. And he comes finally to the house and they're weeping. They're crying, it's no use, Jesus. And he goes in, he says, do not weep, for she is asleep. She's not dead. And he grabs her by the hand and in a gentle, kind of waking up tone, just says, child, arise. Like you would say, Ellie, get up. It's time to get up. You see, from conception to resurrection, 
From conception to resurrection and beyond, God's power and God's presence carry his people through. Even when we awake from death, God is there for his people. Well, three stanzas, three profound truths about God. Omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. And so what do we do with this knowledge? What did David do with this knowledge? Well, let me just suggest two brief things. One, he worships, so we worship. He worships, so we worship. Let your heart this afternoon be moved to adoration over such things. Things that eclipse anything you have ever known. This is your God. As you think about your circumstances, whatever they may be, you have that simple but profound assurance that, that's found in the title of the sermon. Three phrases. I know, I'm there, and I can. And let me just encourage you parents, these are truths to teach our children to talk about when we get home. What does it mean that God is omnipresent? What does it mean that God is omnipotent? You can even borrow the runaway bunny. But teach these truths to your children that they might worship Him. And going back to that fear that I spoke of, the fear, the unsettledness that some of us might feel in our seats, of being known in such a way, known by God with such intimacy. You see, on the human level, our fear of being known deeply by others is a threat to us because we're concerned about being exploited. We're concerned about being abused. But here's the thing about God. God knows all those things, but He doesn't use that knowledge in the same way that we do in our sin. Now what does the Scripture say? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the Gospel proclaims to us this morning that Jesus went through the darkness for us. That Jesus suffered the abandonment of the Father's face, His face of favor, and instead endured the face of wrath. For us. For you. Since we're in the Psalms, Psalm 22. Maybe a familiar psalm to some of you. And it proclaims Jesus' words of desperation on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? Why has your presence left me? Because of Jesus, we don't need to fear that penetrating knowledge. We can be vulnerable. We can be transparent. Indeed, we delight in God's knowledge of us this way. Search me and know me, David says. How precious to me are your thoughts, David worships. So that's the first response is to worship. To cling to Jesus. Those who do not only find their name in the book of days, but in the book of life. 
that we read in Revelation 3. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And if we don't cling to Jesus, if you don't turn to Jesus, then you're exposed, fully exposed to his wrath. See, David has seen this vision of God. He's contemplated and thought again about who God is. And it's led him all the more to see the expanse between the creator and the creature. Between he and his God. God is holy other. God is holy. And David feels that more than ever. And we see that in his words against his enemies. Worship him. And cling to Jesus. The second thing is, David follows, so we follow. How does David end the psalm? Lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, just like the disciples who cried out, "Where, where would we go, Lord? You alone hold the words of eternal life. So we when we're introduced to such a God, when we're reminded of the God that we serve, can only worship, can only follow. The God who knows you deeper than you will ever know, whose presence is inescapable, whose power conceived you and will one day resurrect you in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Meditate on Him. Worship Him. Renew your allegiance to Him this day. And if you don't know Him, come to Him. Today is the day of salvation. As I heard it said this week, and I'll leave you with this, there is no refuge from Him. Only refuge in Him. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for the word of truth this morning. We thank you for these reminders about who you are. Indeed, you are God. A God like no other. A God who knows. A God who is. And a God who can beyond our imagination. Father, I pray for those here this morning who have never bowed the knee to You. Indeed, You are too high to attain on our own. And yet You have condescended to us in the person of Jesus. You have invited us into relationship with You through Jesus. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that You would move among us that You would convict hearts. That You would turn our hearts to You. Those of us who have grown cold in our worship, cold in our allegiance, Father, renew our fervor to follow You. To trust You in all things. Father, we love You. We thank You for loving us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.